Bibles. A while back, I was at Walmart and uh, went in and looked for all that I needed. I came back out and I noticed that when I pushed the button to unlock my car, that my car didn't chirp and the lights, you know, the car chirps and the lights light up and your doors unlock. And I did it a couple of times. I thought that was really strange. And I kind of thought, well, maybe my battery is dead. And uh, my battery in my, in my key fob is dead. And so I walk up and I'm like, you know, it's, it's got a backup in it just in case the battery dies there's, there's just enough signal when you get close enough to your car, you touch it, it'll open up, it'll unlock. And so I walked up and I pulled the handle and it wouldn't open. And I thought, what in the world am I going to do? And I'm just kind of scratching my head and I, I look up and as I look up, I gaze <clears throat> through the window of the car and I notice that what's normally hanging on the rearview mirror is not there. And then I begin to look, and I'm like, I don't, I, don't, I don't keep trash in my seats in my car. And, and I looked, and it was somebody else's. And, of course, then you're looking over your shoulder, hoping they're not standing at the end of the car laughing at you and waiting for you to get away from their car. Um, but the car wasn't mine. And, boy, did that, uh, you know, has, has anybody ever done that before? Okay, good. I don't feel so bad. All right. It looked just like my car. And of course, you're in a hurry and, and you're, you're, you, want, you want to get home. And, and I just, I grabbed somebody else's car and tried to get into it. Uh, now, they weren't standing there, so I was relieved. But you remember that feeling? You know, when you're touching something that is not yours, it's somebody else's vehicle. What will they think? This morning, I, I want to look at an important aspect of our lives, and that is ownership. A couple of weeks ago, we began looking at the subject of stewardship. We looked at the parable of the talents. The Word of God tells us that God's expectation of us is that we be faithful stewards. And faithful stewardship is only possible when we have a proper understanding of three things, God's ownership, our responsibility, and accountability, our accountability. Look at Psalm chapter 24. The psalmist declares this well. He understands, David understands his place with the Lord, and I'm thankful for it. The Bible says the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. That's a pretty inclusive statement there. All that is in this earth is God's. As we look at this this morning, <clears throat> we're going to be reminded of God's ownership in our life. Look at verse 2. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. What do we see him declared as their creator? Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place. And now we see a God who is sovereign over all. 
He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity. And that's an interesting phrase there, has not lifted his soul up to vanity. It has to do with our life choices. What kind of choices do we make in life? How, how, do we, how do we decide what is best or what is right? Do we acknowledge the fact that there is a sovereign God, a God who is creator of all, and not just creator, but has been declared as the owner of all that is in this earth? You see, the one that will stand before the Lord, the one who can come in with joy and declare the King of glory, as we read at the opening of the service, is that one with clean hands. The one who has acknowledged God as owner, the one who has seen that all that he may have in his possession is not truly his, it is owned by the God of the universe. Clean hands and a pure heart gives the idea that in my life choices, these choices that are not being lifted up toward vanity, but are being lift up, lifted up toward prosperity or those things that will bring glory to the God who owns it all. But I have clean hands, a clean heart nor sworn deceitfully. Sometimes when it comes to this topic that we'll look at this morning, we're using Psalm 24 as a springboard as we look more into the principles of this ownership. Many times we lie to ourselves. Just as I was walking out into the Walmart parking lot and tried to get into somebody else's car. You know what? When I found the vehicle that responded to my key fob, I got into a vehicle that was still not mine. It's God's. Many times we we preface possession by saying that is my house. Those are my children. That is my spouse. And we don't think about the fact that we live deceitfully because we live in possession of those things that are all God's. You see, he shall receive the blessing, the one who recognizes the ownership of God, the one who is a good steward, who faithfully lives his life in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God, who sees all that he has as God's and it is to be used for his glory. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him And seek thy face, O Jacob, Selah. This morning I want to focus on the ownership of God. And perhaps of all the principles of stewardship, the hardest for us to grasp is the ownership of God. Or maybe it should be better stated this way. To relinquish the thought that all of what we have is not truly ours.
When John Rockefeller Sr. was only 33 years old, he became the first millionaire in America. When he was 43, he owned the largest company in the world, Standard Oil Company, which held 90% of America's oil. Then when he was 53, he became the first billionaire in America. And his fortune assessed in today's dollar would total over $336 billion, making him the richest man in financial terms that has ever lived. It was at this time, in the early 1900s, that he became very sick. He could only eat crackers and milk. The doctors had written him off. He was on his deathbed. There were those in the media and the newspaper who had written his obituary. They thought that he was about to die. And there were some who hated him and said that he was full of greed. But John's testimony was that he was a Christian. He understood that God had given him the gift to accumulate wealth. However, it was the curse because he hadn't sought to know the true purpose of the wealth he had been given by Almighty God or acknowledged whose it really was. One night, while John was unable to go to sleep, he turned to God in prayer. As he prayed, he recalled what he had heard his pastor say, God will give money to you if he can get it through you. The Lord spoke to his heart and said, John, all the money in the world will do you no good in heaven or hell. Your job and your responsibility are to give it away to bless others. What did John learn that night? He learned that all within his possession was not his, but God's. He learned that God had given him his fortune to be used in stewardship of him. And since he knew that he was a steward of God's money and he couldn't take it with him, he started giving it away. He did wonderful things with his money. He helped churches and needy people. He began the University of Chicago and Rockefeller University, uh, as well as a university in the Philippines. That next morning after he got up from his prayer, he began the Rockefeller Foundation. He dedicated uh, to medical research. It was instrumental in the discovery of penicillin, the most significant medical discovery of all time, the eradication of hookworm and yellow fever. Rockefeller experienced many miracles, and in the midst of, of it all, uh, he found his true calling. His health turned around, and he spent the next 40 years giving away the wealth that he had accumulated. He received the peace of mind that came with it. The inner healing God gave him made it possible for his outer physical healing. You see, the pressures of keeping what he called his were putting him in an early grave. He rededicated his life to the Lord and he began to attend church every Sunday. He even taught a Sunday school class until he died. And after been, having been told he would never see his 54th birthday, John D. Rockefeller lived to be 97 years old. A writer speaking to the nature of true wealth wrote this, True wealth is not a measure of success, but a measure of responsibility. What is that called? 
stewardship. Whatever money, talents, or gifts God has given you, when used to bless others, will bring glory to God, good to others, in the changing of their lives. If we're going to be faithful stewards of what God has blessed us with, we need to recognize God's ownership in our life. We need to learn to respond properly to it and learn to rest in His ownership. So let's go through this thought this morning. We'll consider this, number one, recognizing God's ownership. The psalmist did well in verse one, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. What did he recognize? He recognized that that God made every person according to his plan. Job said, did not he that made me in the womb make him? And did not one fashion us in the womb? The psalmist says, thy hands have made me and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn thy commandments. David wrote that God knew him before he was ever born. Thine eyes did see my substance, yet being unperfect. And in thy book, all my members were written, which in continuance were fashioned when as yet there was none of them. God is our creator. He created everything. We're learning about it on Sunday nights. If you want to enjoy an understanding of of Genesis, come tonight. We're not that far into it. We're only a chapter in. But what are we learning? That God is creator. He created you. He created me. He knew us before we were ever fashioned. And because he is creator, he owns us and can do with us as he sees fit. can't remember the the reference to the verse in Proverbs, but there is a verse in Proverbs that, uh, in, in paraphrase, says this, that when we look at ourselves and we see things that we don't like, we're actually despising our maker. You ever look at yourself and say, oh, man, if only I could be this way, or if only, if only I had one nostril that was not smaller than the other. You know, my my nose is crooked. That's why I don't look up at the ceiling. If I looked up at the ceiling, you would see it too. And Paige inherited that. That, I guess that was my one gift to her. You know, I I could be bitter about that. I could go out and spend all kinds of money and go to the doctor and say, you know, doctor, I, I I want this nostril to be just as perfect in size as the other. I want them to match completely. How how foolish. Did God know I'd be that way? Yeah. You know that when I breathed, I would get one volume of air on one side and another volume on the other side? Yes. You know, some people, my ears are too big, or I don't like my nose. Or, listen, God created you, He's your creator, He's your owner. Let Him do what He is going to do with you, Let, be satisfied with Him. But not only did he create us, I want you to think about this in his ownership. He redeemed us. God God has literally purchased every believer out of the marketplace of sin and slavery to the world of darkness. 
1 Corinthians 6, ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and your spirit, which are God's. And in chapter 7, he goes on to say, you're bought with a price. Be not ye the servants of men. There was a day in, in, in your life where God called out to you and you were on the auction block. You were being sold in the marketplace of sin, a slave to sin. And Jesus came and he said, I paid the debt. Not only have I paid the debt, I am setting you free. He paid the price to redeem us. He bought us. He owns us. Why? He paid a ransom for us. Matthew, it says this, Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life, what? A ransom for many. Do we acknowledge that in our lives? I mean, think about it. It's easy for us to come and to sit in church on a Sunday morning or Sunday night or Wednesday evening. And it's easy for us to come together and sing songs and and pray and acknowledge that God is creator. And and we would all affirm that God is sovereign over all. and, 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 And as believers, we are his children. But beloved, the question is not, what we acknowledge within these four walls as the body is met together. But the question is, what do you acknowledge every day and every moment of the day when you're not with the body? This is an encouraging setting. This is a setting where we come together and edify one another and we praise God together. But beloved, when when life comes and I'm sitting at work or standing at work, or I'm, I'm, I'm driving down the road and something happens that I don't like, do we still acknowledge that we are redeemed and bought? See, it goes on to say, in the second part of, of 1 Corinthians 7, 23, Be not ye the servants of men. We're His. We're we're to serve Him and not ourselves. Oh, how often? How often do we serve ourselves? My dreams, right? My plans, my ambitions, my hopes for my children, my desire for my spouse to be this way. You see, beloved, it's very easy for us to become self-centered. Come to a place where God is not in first place. He's not acknowledged as a creator and owner. He's not acknowledged as the one who redeemed us, but we find ourselves serving ourselves. He redeemed us. The wonder of that is that He guides and provides and cares for us. We don't have to worry that he might not take care of us. What does it say in Psalm 100? Know ye that the Lord, he is God, that he hath made us 
and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Consider it. He's there to guide, to protect, to care for us, to provide for us. We see in these Psalms that we can depend on God to do that, just as a shepherd does for his sheep. We look to God and His Word and obey the instruction we find there. We are acknowledging God as our Creator, Redeemer, and Owner. That's what a steward does. Lord, I'm going today to the job that you provided for me. Lord, help me to do, to carry out my tasks for your glory. Lord, help me to do it with all my might and strength so that I can glorify you. Lord, I, 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 I'm thankful for my spouse today. Lord, help me to love them the way that you love the church. Lord, help me to show them your love. Lord, help me to be patient. Lord, help me to be kind. He helps us with those things. And, and when, we, when we live that way, we acknowledge the fact that he's our creator, redeemer, and owner. And as the sheep of his pasture, we have a responsibility to acknowledge his possession of us and to follow him. You've heard me speak of it. When, when we were in Israel and standing on the, the tell or the hill of old Beersheba, we got to the highest point, and, and it, was, it, was, it was a beautiful sight. You could see the desert area around, and miles off you could see modern-day Beersheba. And as the evening was coming, you could see the lights kind of coming on in the city. And it was just a, a beautiful sight. But as we stood there and we could see the, the interstate highway uh, going by, there was an underpass that was dug, and it uh, probably dug specifically for the shepherds and their sheep. And as we watched multiple flocks coming from different directions, they were all about to converge on this bottleneck under the interstate. And the question is, what's going to happen? Are the shepherds going to get in a fight because one shepherd's sheep is going with the other shepherd and everything's all mixed up? It's going to be absolute chaos. And all of a sudden, I wish drivers could do this today. When, when you go down to a one lane, doesn't it bother you when people just can't merge right? You know. But it's like all of the sheep just went into this, merged together into this column and went under that, that, that overpass of the, of the interstate. And the shepherds were walking through. And as the shepherds began to go their separate ways to go off to their, their folds, you could hear them calling. And all of a sudden, the sheep that were all merged together in this one column just began to disperse all in their separate directions, each to their own shepherd. Oh, beloved, think about this. He's our guide. He's our provider. He's our protector. And how often do we find ourselves, in essence, going into one of those underpasses? 
And Jesus, our shepherd, is leading us in this world and providing for us and protecting us. And, and there are those in the world who are, are, are calling sheep. And as we get together and we come through that underpass, rather than answering and following the call of our shepherd, we go to a different shepherd. God, help us. Oh, beloved, this world hates us. This world hates every person in it. Satan does too. That's why sin is binding. That's why it's welcoming at first when it seems so tantalizing to give in to the sin. But you know what, beloved? When we're bound by it, it's a cruel master. And when we try to leave that master, it is even more cruel. It's important that we recognize God's ownership in our life just as, as, as those sheep do to their shepherd. But we can't just stop with acknowledging God's ownership. We must also respond to it. That brings it to a level of the heart, the actions. How do we respond to God's ownership? Number one, we respond to it by transformed living. Since Jesus has redeemed us, we're, we're obligated to glorify him with our lives. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is what? A new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Romans 12, and be not conformed to this world, but what? Be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. For ye are bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 6. Therefore, what? Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. What is this speaking to? This is speaking to transformed living. It's speaking to the fact that what we knew and felt happening within us when we came to God and we trusted Christ, we rested in His finished work, He changed us. And we became a new creature. And beloved, it's not supposed to just stay there. It is supposed to work its way out. You see, a heart that is fixed on loving and knowing Him. It's what brings that transformation out. Paul said this, that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death. What, what, is, our, what, what is our desire? What are we seeking to know John deals with this in, in, in 1 John chapter 2, where he says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. Those are things that, that, that believers are tempted day by day to go after because, boy, we, we want that knowledge and that experience and, and, and it, it seems appealing to us. But beloved, the greatest thing that we can do is live transformed lives that are seeking to know Him and the power of His resurrection. 
We already know what it is to live in this world. Why? Because we bear the scars of sin. We can look back in our past lives and there are things that, that has, has scarred us. There are things that we don't want to remember. There are things that, that, that we never want to think of again that sin has done to us. But, but God came and made us whole. And our desire ought to be to know Him and the power of His resurrection, that power that changes us and conforms us to the image of Christ. David definitely had this desire. He says in Psalm 19, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. What is it that we're seeking to know, to understand? I tell you, beloved, in this day, and... and Again, I, uh, if you think I'm pointing a finger, there are three fingers pointing back at me. But we live in a day where we spend a lot of time doing this. Scrolling through Facebook, TikToks. Snapchats, whatever other media, YouTubes. Wonder how much time we waste seeking to know things when we could be seeking to know Him. I'm not saying that those things don't have their place, they do. How many times do we let them get out of control? How many times do they take us away from a transformed living and just make us the same as the rest of the world around us? You see, recognizing God's and responding, excuse me, to God's ownership is not just transformed living, but it's also grateful service. I mean, stop and consider all that God has done for us. He made us, He bought us, He leads us, He protects us. Shouldn't we naturally want to serve Him in return? You know, that's the reasonable service we find in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2. Which is your reasonable service. Sane, sensible, logical, it makes sense. What's the opposite of that? Insanity? It doesn't make sense. Oh, beloved, when we live our lives outside of God's ownership, when, when, we, when we fail to acknowledge that He's our Redeemer, our Creator, it's insane. I'll never forget sitting and, and watching Penn of Penn and Teller speak about the encounter that he's had with believers. He spoke of a time where he met 
a believer who gave him, I believe, gave him a tract, wanted to give him the plan of salvation. He asked him if he truly believed it. His point was, he went on to to talk about the encounter and, and his feelings, was this, I don't want a faith for somebody who really doesn't own that faith. And his observation of many believers or claimed believers were that they really didn't believe what they said they believed. You see, even in the eyes and reasoning of an unsaved man, what was he saying? He was saying, if you're truly a believer, then your reasonable service is to serve him, is to acknowledge his ownership. Samuel told the children of Israel in 1 Samuel, only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart, for consider how great things he hath done for you. We ought to serve Him enthusiastically, heartily, as it says in Colossians. And whatsoever ye do, do it what? Heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. We live this out by pursuing with all our heart whatever service He asks of us, whether witnessing for Him or performing family or or, or work obligations or serving in the church, we're to do it heartily unto Him. Maybe you say, Pastor, what's, what's the difference between transformed living and, and grateful service? You're, you're talking about two things that seem the same. Well, this, the difference is this. Transformed living is a matter of attitude and inward spiritual condition. Grateful service is an outward display of what's in our hearts. You see, beloved, the, the, the two are attached they, they really can't be separated. Well, I'm a, I'm a believer, but, you know, I'm just not living the way I should. Why? Why? I mean, he's our owner. He's our master. It should also involve expectant prayer. We're called to give ourselves and our needs to God instead of taking matters into our own hands. What does it say in Philippians 4? Be careful for nothing, what? But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. He says a little later in the chapter, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Do we give ourselves and our needs to God or do we take matters into our own hands? Oh, we say that we pray about it, right? Pastor, I'm praying about this thing and I'm giving it to God. Why are you still anxious? Why are you still fearful? 
I'm not saying that, that our flesh can't struggle. But beloved, for some reason, we're, we're living in a more fearful generation of believers than, than I think we've ever lived in, in this country at least. If God's our owner, if God's our master, if God's our protector, and we give it to Him, beloved, we ought to trust Him with what we give Him. You remember what fear does. Fear flips the limbs. I look at God through my circumstances when I'm fearful. And what does that lens do? You ever, you ever done that with a magnifying glass? Have you ever magnified and then flipped it over? And it makes everything smaller? Beloved, we, we look at, at God through our fears. We look at God through our circumstances. It's like flipping that lens and we make God small. And it's not a wonder that we fear that we're overly anxious. But you know what? We need to be looking at God and looking at our circumstances through God. What happens then? Big God. Big God. But pastor, my problems are big. You, you don't understand how, no. God is bigger, right? I am God's. I need to go to Him, and I need to rest in Him, and I need to have expectant prayer of Him. Why? Not, not because He's that, that genie that in the, in the magic lamp, and I pull it out, and I rub it, and poof, He comes out, and He grants my wish. And No, beloved, it's because He is the sovereign God, the creator of the universe, who owns you and me. We are His. We ought to be experiencing expectant prayer of Him and it ought to affect our fears and our anxieties and bring us to a place of peace and trust in Him. We ought to be able to let go of our anxieties and fears. Jesus said to His disciples in Luke chapter 12, Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life. What ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Those are things that God has promised to care for us and to take care of. Nothing is too big or too small for him. Nothing is too big or too small to commit to him. John said, and this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, he heareth us. Hebrews reminds us, let us come boldly, therefore, before the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Expectant prayer. And the aspect of that prayer is not only should it be a spiritual discipline on a daily basis, but we should also discipline ourselves to be in a state of continual conversation with God. What does it say in 1 Thessalonians 5.17? Pray without ceasing. How often do we face an issue with, with maybe a, there's, there's a confrontation with a spouse, there's a, there's a tense moment at work with a coworker or, or maybe a boss, or, or we're driving down the road and, and somebody 
does something boneheaded and they, you know, they pull in front of us, how, how often do we find ourselves responding in a state of prayer rather than responding with our emotions? We can be in a state of prayer. It's called praying with your eyes open. You ever been in one of those circumstances? You know, you look down to adjust the radio. You look up and all of a sudden you see the red brake lights in front of you. You're praying with your eyes open, aren't you? I, I know I am. <laughs> Lord, may these brakes work. Are we in a, not, not, just, not just making a, a daily spiritual discipline, but are we in a continued state of prayer with Him? That response also comes in faith-filled giving. It comes in faith-filled giving. The act of giving and, and, and tithing says we should give God the first portion of all of our earnings. You say, oh, Pastor, I don't believe in tithing. Well, 1 Corinthians 16 says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of him, or you lay by him in store as God hath prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. What's God doing? Whether, whether we want to exercise the principle of tithing or whether we want to exercise the principle of first fruit giving or grace giving, what, what is Paul reminding us? That every, every week, as we, as we have increase come, and, and I, I like tithing uh, because um, it, it is, it's, a, it's a set pattern. But you know what? Tithing is not the end game of it. Tithing is just the beginning and should be just the, the, the goal, the beginning goal of our giving. But, but, but what does the Lord say? At the beginning of the week, what are we to do? We're to look at our increase. We're to look at what has come in. And we're to say, God, this is yours. Lord, what would you have me give? Lord, I, I've set this much that, that I know I want to give as first fruit givings. But, but Lord, is there something else that you want me to give to? Is there another need? Is there a cause? Is there, is there, is there, there something that, that I can do to give a gift to you? Or to give to you what is already yours. It's a basic response. Think about this. Our giving is a basic response to God's authority, acknowledging his ownership of ourselves and all we have. Prayer acknowledges in our spiritual walk. Giving acknowledges in our physical walk. When we give or we tithe, we say, God, I belong to you. The world belongs to you. My possessions belong to you. And we express our willingness to trust him to meet our needs. We don't have a, a program uh, for missions. There are churches that run a program for missions called Faith Promise Giving. What happens when faith promise giving is exercised is at the beginning of the year um, or at the appointed time of year, the people of the church begin to sit down and pray individually, Lord, what would you have me to contribute to our missions program? 
Lord, this is, it's above my tithe. It's, it's above what, what, what I normally give every week. Lord, what would you have me give? And, and, and Lord, I'm going to trust you to meet that goal. It's not a bad way of giving. You say, well, we don't have a faith promise. Well, others exercise it and call it this, and that's grace giving. Lord, I love you. Lord, you're my provider. You're my creator. Lord, I, I give offerings every week. Lord, I give a tithe every week. But Father, what would you have me give? Over and above. Lord, it's yours. And Lord, however you lead me in my heart, Lord, I'm trusting you to provide to meet that need. Do we recognize the ownership of God in our lives? And then thirdly, is resting in God's ownership. Do we rest in it? Jesus said, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you what? Rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Take my yoke upon me and learn of me. I'm meek and lowly of heart. Ye shall find rest unto your souls. How do we rest in Him? By trusting Him. And when we do so, we'll be willing to give, to obey, to serve, to trust as a result. Trusting means this, means taking God at His word. It's an activity of the mind that controls the emotions and leads the will to direct the body and actions of obedience to Him. You said, Pastor, that's a long sentence. What are you talking about? Imagine with me, if you would, a choo-choo train. Have I ever seen a choo-choo train? When I lived in Troy, inevitably... The town was divided in half by a very busy train track. And inevitably, when you were late to church, the train would be just on time to make you even later. But what is the first thing that goes by when you see the train? The engine, right? And then you got compartment cars, and then at the end, you have what? A caboose. I want you to think of it this way. Our faith, our trust of God, uh, what we know of His Word is that engine that should be driving us. And the cars that come behind, in essence, are our life actions, our life pursuits. And then what comes at the very end, the caboose, is our emotion. And you know what? Too many times, beloved, we try to drive the train with the caboose. And we put the engine in the back. When the train needs to be driven by our faith and trust in God and His Word, and that pulls along our life decisions and, and, and our, our, our thoughts and, and all that, that we do, and the emotions come behind why? Because emotions will deceive us. They'll overwhelm us. They'll put us in a place where we can't trust. Isn't it wonderful 
that Isaiah tells us this, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on thee because he trusteth in thee. When we rest in God's ownership, we are trusting in him. We rest in God's ownership. The act of giving expresses our faith. Jesus said this, Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet withal, it shall be measured to you again. Oh, we ought to be, as God's people, giving people. Why? Because we are God's resource. You know, in essence, what we are saying when we are resting in God and His ownership, I will give it all to you. That includes our marriage, our children, our job, our money, our service to Christ, our help to others. Beloved, our marriage is not ours. Our marriage is a covenant between one another and God. What does God say in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 6? What God hath joined together, what? Let no man put us under. It's God's. Our children are God's. Psalm 127. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord. You know what? I'll never forget the day that we stood before the church with both of our children, each one after they were born. We didn't dedicate our babies. We, we gave them back to God. And the request for the church was pray for our children and pray for us because we are stewards of what God has given us. And, and this speaks to a subject that is near and dear to our hearts because our children are close to us. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves, God, they're yours. Lord, I know she's going to fly 12 hours or 15 hours to South Africa. But Lord, she's yours. Lord, I know she's going to marry this young man who, Lord, was I that way when I was that age? <laughs> Can't believe I was that way, Lord. But Lord, she's yours. And it's obvious it's your will. Lord, he wants to, he wants to move to Chicago. And live in the city. Lord, I know he's not right. But he's yours. They're his. How are you stewarding your children? Your marriage? Oh, are you hanging on to them? They're not yours. Parents, encourage your kids to be stewards who love God.
and want to serve Him. And don't you hold on when God begins to work in their heart. And beloved, we have a dearth of this. The missions is dying around this world and pastors and full-time servants of the Lord are dying around this world. There are so many churches in need. And don't you hold on when God begins to deal in the heart of your child and call them in a direction like that. You let God do what he's going to do because he's going to take care of them. And when we hold on and we white knuckle it, what are we doing? We're saying, God, you are not the owner of my life. You are not the owner of my children. I am. It's a dangerous place. Our treasure should be found in riches. Lay not for, for yourselves up treasures upon earth where moss and rust doth corrupt, but lay them up in heaven. And then in resting in God, there's also receiving that comes. You know, if we willingly give to others, God's going to supply our needs. Second Corinthians, Paul says, And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that ye always having all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Look at the church history. Macedonians first gave themselves to the Lord. The Philippians first gave themselves to the ministry of Christ through Paul. What did Paul say? And God shall supply all your need through his riches in Christ Jesus. I ask you this morning, do you recognize God's ownership in your life? Do you really see it? Do we get up and say, God, all is yours? Do we live it? Do we respond the way we ought? And then do we rest in it? May God help us be good stewards of what God has given us. And may each day and each moment as we live our lives, we recognize Him as owner and make choices that honor and please Him. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, what a reminder. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. So, Father, as we look in our hearts and lives today, Lord, I pray that you would speak to us. Lord, that we would be good stewards. Father, that we would acknowledge your ownership in our lives. Lord, that we would even be obedient this morning. as we consider our lives, as we look at those things that you have given us to exercise stewardship over. Whether it's talents, whether it's time, whether it's treasure, whether it's a marriage, whether it's children, whether it's a job, Lord, it's all yours. 
And so, Father, this morning we come before you, looking at the mirror of your word. And Lord, I pray that we would be obedient. Lord, that those things that maybe we are hanging on to, those things that we are just white-knuckling in our life, Lord, that we would see the true acknowledging of ownership is displayed and how we act upon it and how we rest in it. Perhaps, Lord, we need to confess, I've been hanging on. Lord, I've been trying to make things work my way. Lord, I've been exercising ownership and possession and not stewardship. Father, I pray that we would be obedient in our response as we just take these next couple of moments listening to your spirit, meditating on your word, and responding to you.